everybody. Welcome to another episode of... Yeah, I'm not doing a silly thing. It's it's beneath the, the screen of the Ultra Critics. It's too right. serious. Too yeah. serious. We're being serious today. This is my serious voice. Today we have a... I don't want to call it a special episode, but... By because far, that, that conjures a little too much of an image of, like, ABC family movies. Right. This is by far the most serious episode we've ever done. We're going yes. to essentially talk about not just so much the Harvey Weinstein issue, but the sort of multilateral the, issues involving Harvey Weinstein. The, 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 the social structures within the film industry, nay, within our culture as a whole that allows and in some ways fuels these types of structural abuses. Something like that? Exactly. Thank you, Woodsmith Thad. <laughs> no problem. Um, so, so it does not go without saying uh, that some, some trigger warning up front here? Yeah, trigger warnings, we will be talking about uh, rape allegations, sexual abuse, sexual harassment. Um, really, so if you are really at all... T- have any sort of history of sexual violence, maybe? I don't know. This is just be forewarned that this will be a dramatic episode to some. So yeah. I just want everyone to know what they're getting into. And we are going to try our damnedest to approach it with the uh, the care and concern that the topic deserves. We're There's no punchline. That's just what we're trying to do. <laughs> Hopefully we will not fail too many times in terrible ways. Uh just so you know, Thad and I, we have uh, we sat down and we have some articles that we based this off of, so we actually did research for this particular one. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really good articles that have come out uh, going deep dives into the various people and situations uh, that have come to light. Uh, uh, so The New Yorker, definitely... New York Times, uh, the LA Weekly, actually not anymore, but you can find it on the old LA Weekly website, had an interesting mm. article as well. Uh, Vanity Fair, all the major publications have done some pretty good reporting on this. Also, that uh, that GQ um, Brennan Fraser uh, piece, I think, is definitely worth uh, worth a look as well. That's also worth a check uh, check out. Also, uh, a little bit of update on the news uh, with the Weinstein Company going bankrupt. That also means all NDAs are null and, vol- uh, null and void. Ooh, well, ain't that fun? Yeah. So we got a, at the very least a tidal wave coming on that. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the like it's it's good for the info to come out, but I'm sure it's going to be just super gross. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to start off by talking about the giant elephant in the room, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, no, I'm not going to do a fat joke here. I'm I'm above that because I'm oh. also probably taller than him. More um, <laughs> taller than him. <laughs> but the. How would you say that, like, in like a sort of concise way, the issue with Harvey Weinstein? Well, aside from the, I, I think one of the, the the biggest issue, aside from his personal behaviors, abuses, harassments, etc., are the structures within both his company and just within the people, like not even official business structures, but just within the structure of culture around him that doesn't that basically interacts with his abuses by not interacting with them right like uh 
This is actually, it kind of ties into something that uh, Kara and I were talking about this week since, uh, since it's Superman month. Woohoo, Superman. Yay. <laughs> not about, not today's episode though. Today's sad. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that, that came up in our, our Superman article, the whole uh, Smallville sort of keeping the Clark secrets for him right. is it, it, like, I, I, I think of that a lot in the sort of small town mold, uh, because that's you know essentially where i come from right. of just like staying out of other people's business and that kind of thing but that sort of behavior i think happens in any sort of self-contained community whether it's uh the the hollywood system or whether it's the tiny towns in missouri uh and i think a lot of it is that's that's what sort of functions here because very clearly everyone or at least most people knew about Harvey Weinstein, like the people around him, the people who worked with him, like, and so instead of being like, hey, this guy's a creep and an abuser and a straight up monster, they deal with it by just trying to nudge people around and like covering things up and just this whole sort of, there's no leader to it, but just this whole sort of invisible bureaucracy of secret keeping and navigating the threat that everybody knows but cannot speak of. Well, yeah, the number one word you read as you read these articles is the word complicit. Yes. The amount of people who knew or knew something or knew of an incident and mm. didn't follow through... Um, I was really sort of struck by the uh, model Amber Patiliana Gutierrez, mm-hmm. Miss Italy. Uh, essentially, Weinstein groped her. And he was like, I do this to everybody. And she's like, well, you don't do it to me. And she leaves. And then she goes to the cops. And they essentially put a wire on her. And it's like, okay, you're going to meet him for dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and do that. And we'll actually try to build a case against him. And she builds up, like, she gets a bit of a confession, but not enough for the DA to move forward. But the cops are like, we want to move on this. Yeah. Like, the amount of times people were this close to catching Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Well, I think that also shows how uh, all you have to do is be someone from outside of that system to to see how horrible it is and to not and, and to not know that you're not supposed to do anything about it or that well, you're not allowed then... to or that you should be afraid to because like I, I mean you know the I, I'm assuming the model industry has a lot of of sort of cross interplay with with Hollywood but at the same time like for for that that model to just be like no not this isn't how it works and to right. try and do something about it like. It do, you don't have to be you don't have to be that far outside of a particular sphere to to un, like see these hypocrisies and to just be like nah of course it still didn't play out but well because uh, she had a confession on because mm. she wore wires so they had a recording of the confession mm. but if she signed an NDA and basically had to say that that never happened yeah it just gets Harvey absorbed was lying. <laughs> right and it's it's really weird to see how he's able to maneuver people and just signing these documents that basically ignore everything else that came before it, simply so they can go on living without the yeah. fear of Harvey Weinstein reciprocity. Yeah, just these, uh, I don't know, the, the non-disclosure agreements and all these like private arbitration things are just constructed to prevent interaction with the law. And it's 
just I I don't know enough about it to talk about how horrible it is, but I definitely know it's horrible. Well, it's also one of the things where you uh, you saw um hold on, I have his name written down here somewhere. Um David Boys, who is mm. the uh, defense attorney that worked with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Who, by the way, signed uh who argued for marriage equality in front of the Supreme Court. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, like he's he basically signed a contract directing Black Cube to help silence the accusers of Harvey Weinstein. Black Cube, by the way, is a private investigative organization that consists of ex-Mossad agents and Israeli military. And here I thought the Pinkertons were gone. Well, not um... only that, okay, here's the thing. It's, it's so weird to read about Kroll, which is a cor- mm. uh, corporate uh, intelligence agency and black cube and i'm like these are names that if i read in a script i would say you need to change the name this is too obvious yeah reality is more insane than fiction uh and also it's also worse than fiction because you know actual people get hurt right like i feel like if i walk into black cube i just hear the door instead of like you have a door chime that goes cobra (laughs) it's just absurd (laughs) and thankfully they have agents pretending to be people, like they have fake websites, and they're like talking to the survivors, befriending them, so they can find out information on who they've talked to, like in terms of reporters. Yeah, who that, the there, other that survivors there are literal are. that there are literal industries, like little cottage industries, that exist to prevent people from talking about the abuses of of Weinstein and and his kind. It's but, just. Not only Oof. that, but like you see these people sort of like now that this evidence has come out, boys, black cube, crawl, they've all been like Well boys like look, I had no idea it was that bad. I was just doing my <laughs> job as for a client. Which right. to some extent he's right, but at the same time he was at the, while he was working for Harvey to quiet the New York Times article, I believe by Jody Cantor and Megan Tui. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also working, his firm was also working a case, a libel case, for the New York Times. And I'm like, how is that not a conflict of uh, interest? Yeah. I I don't know. The logic of, of people who work in and around the legal system is, is super well, not weird. Well, that, Boyes or, apologizes, but he doesn't apologize to the women. He apolo- apologizes right. to us for, you know, doing his job. It's like, what... <laughs> Yeah, the the we uh, I I don't eat like that the 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 sort of pseudo ap- apology like around the issue, ugh, so bizarre. Well, and all of that, but I want to read to you Harvey Weinstein's own uh, something he said in an apology to everyone and the and the women that he abused and threatened. Is this before or after he fled the country? Uh, before. Ah, hmm. Just in checking. the past. In the past, I used to compliment people, and some took it as me being sexual. I oh. won't do that again. Oh, and I'm like, God. <laughs> yeah, that's. I feel like that's. I mean, I I don't have you know data in front of me or anything, but that seems like that's a really common tactic by people who are uh, like serial harassers is to be like, oh well, I I don't even know where the line is anymore. Like I was just <laughs> trying to compliment people, really. Really? <laughs> it's like, the line is when you expose yourself. <laughs> you know what? No, actually, line. I think maybe, maybe they're right. No, you don't know what it means to compliment <laughs> somebody, and you should never try to do so again. 
Well, if, if that's your defense, yes, you are broken. You can't. <laughs> you just shouldn't. Don't. Just go away. You need to maybe not talk to people ever again. Ugh. And, like, oh. and it should be also known that, like, the animosity of Harvey Weinstein. Mm. Let's be clear. He broke into Annabelle, Annabella Sheila's house and raped her. There's a sudden, like, there's a brazenness to the animosity that is terrifying. Yeah. Like, to, to tr- I mean, I feel like part of it has to just be to truly know that you, as far as all evidence has, can show, that you are above the law. Like, you exist outside of consequence. And that just, the, the sort of entitlement and the, the self-aggrandized, just bizarre logic that people at like in that situation seem to operate on is is terrifying also i i have to make sure that i'm being very clear here when i mentioned mm-hmm. the annabelle annabella shiola incident it is an mm-hmm. alleged incident mm-hmm. uh but uh, she's always always a good word to have to use but he allegedly broke into her house and allegedly raped her Mm. Um, there is a sort of the Asia Argentino incident in which it gets really muddy because it really starts to show much like the uh, Azia Noi article that came out a while back it starts yeah. to show how little we've talked about consent yes because Asia Argentino for those of you who don't know uh, Italian actress and the daughter of Dario Argentino Argento, mm. famous just, Italian just war director. Um, when she was twenty twenty one, he invited her to the motel room and forced her allegedly oral sex. And she eventually started to behave as if she liked it because she was scared. Right. And then she, of course, felt threatened and felt as if he had a hold on her. And so other times she went along willingly because she was scared of the first time. This is what happens with any kind of sexual survival. Of it, The survivor doesn't quite know how to get out of the cycle. Yeah, and of course, this plays further into the, the survivor being sort of abused and gaslit because the public at large sees that kind of thing as equivalent to consent. Like, it doesn't matter what sort of fear or what sort of power structures are... are implicitly or explicitly levied against you if you eventually went along with it then that means everything is fine right and it's one of the things where she's even mentioned like i realize i've muddied the waters and it's sad it's what what the harvey weinstein thing does is really bring to light the sort of complicated nature of how we interact Mm. because 99% 99% of the alleged behavior of Harvey Weinstein is undue, is almost inhuman. Yeah. The fact is, though, if I say this to someone, there's this weird part of me that goes, I wonder if they're going to recognize it as a human because I'm shocked by how many people are like, well, that's how it goes. Well, this is also one of those things that, like, the these sorts of allegations um, and and these sorts of revelations, I suppose, uh, have brought to light a lot of how capable people are of uh, essentially like double think, not yeah. to dip into the 1984 thing too much. But for me, like Harvey Weinstein, 
from the perspective of someone who likes movies but doesn't know as much about how the sausage is made as you do, like I knew of him, right. like conceptually, but I he he didn't previously really matter to me as a person. Like uh, he was sort of outside of the what I was what the sorts of things that I was interested in and that I would follow in film. The one that really stuck out to me was the the, the revelations about Louis C.K. Because right. here's a guy who, like, not just because I liked him as a comedian, but also because I have very clear memories of, like, one of my favorite interviews when Jon Stewart was still on The on the Daily Show. Uh, they, they had this conversation about how women are treated. And Louis C.K. literally said that, like, he he had recently come to understand how rape polices women's lives and all this stuff that's like important and good to know that some like somebody in media knows and to hear it communicated right. but then to find out that he could understand and communicate that and also be an abuser was just <laughs> staggering to me like i ah it still grosses me out to a supreme degree because it's like how do you know that and not apply it to your own behaviors or do you and you just didn't care like what what it is really like the human and, and also mind same with you... aziz ansari uh like he's someone who was known for as i didn't follow him as much but right. uh he was someone who as i understand popularly was known for his wokeness right and he was still uh a, treats women terribly like it's uh i don't i don't i don't like again like the the weinstein stuff is huge and pervasive and i'm not right. diminishing that i'm just saying from my observation as a viewer i wah the the well, yeah i want to point out the uh, as another thing is more of a misunderstanding of what consent is and true while, like, what he did was egregious like it's nothing mm. compared to louis ck no, oh, yeah yeah de yeah definitely <laughs> Like I, I just feel like, uh, but even then, like those questions around consent, like getting that wrong always should... leads to something really bad. Right. Well, and this sort of but... leads to like the double think leads to how it was able to stay hidden for so long because the thing that no one wants to talk about but gets brought up all the time is we've mm. known about this for a very long time. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk uh, to bring up Spotlight. The yeah. thing that was brought up in Spotlight constantly was this was not the first abuse case that they'd ever reported on. And in fact, one of the lawyers had sent them a list of other priests that were allegedly abusers. Yeah. We have, not just as people, but as a society, an amazing ability to look at something and then instantly forget about it and just move on. To just not want it into oblivion. Right, and we did it, we've done it before, and we did it for a long time with Harvey Weinstein, and mm. it's one of the things where the more you read about this, the more we've all had that discussion of whatever happened to. Yeah. And it's becoming, uh, Matt Ashtey on a used to be the editor-in-chief of Rodney Tomatoes, now he works at What the Flick. Mm -hmm. he had, uh, what the Flick had, they did, had a discussion about this. And at the, at the very beginning of Rodden Tomatoes, he had one of his journalists, either Junior Mato or Inku Kang, do a thing of, where are they now? Yeah. And they stopped doing it because after a while, it became of they turned 40 and that's where they went. And he goes, but I'm mm. wondering if maybe what really happened is a lot of these we find out it wasn't that they turned 40. It's just mm. they lost the ability to want to do this anymore because of what either what Harvey Weinstein did allegedly himself or what someone else did. Yeah, like someone benefiting from those same systems of right. Um, Andy Signor for um, 
screen junkies. The, yeah. The lady that he was allegedly uh, harassed. Like, look, I had a real desire to do this particular thing, uh, but now that's gone away because that's connected now to this point. And if you are a survivor and something traumatic does happen to you in connection to the thing you love and do and obsess about, it automatically kills the fire. Yeah. It's you like, just, you're not just, like, des- you're destroying that person inside and out. Yeah, it's just, uh, like, it's a, it's a meat grinder. You're just, if one, like, it just tears at people until they can't take it anymore, and they're just done. And a lot of times, also, that sort of stuff is, is hand-waved with, like, oh, well, they just couldn't take, like, the pressure or the whatever, uh, like, blah, blah, blah. They couldn't blah. take the pressure. They should have known what was going to happen back at the hotel room. They yeah. Known. They should have known. Yada, well, yada, yada. how did they let themselves get put into, like, right. you get, there's always a way of backbending it into being the victim's fault. Right. Well, and again, going back to the reporters, it's like, they had stories. It's just the stories got allegedly kiboshed, or the yeah. stories just got... They got afraid. Uh, one of the reporters, whose name I didn't write down, I'm an idiot, uh, was talking about how he didn't, like, he felt like someone was following him. So he put a kibosh on the story, and he went after Harvey Weinstein for the rest of his life, because sadly a reporter died. But he never mm. talked about the sexual allegations, because mm-hmm. he did. He was he was afraid for his life and his wife. Yeah. Because, again, dark cube. <sighs> and crawl. Wow. Which are... Like... <laughs> Sorry, Black Cube. Yeah, like the lack of self-awareness in some of that <laughs> stuff. I don't even... Uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's, like It's the, really hard to, like, when you sit back and realize the fact that they had spies, like, to the point where they would meet yeah, up actual with spies. Like, actual spies. They sent an email going, allegedly, that I am a feminist. I have this organization. We support each other. We support women's rights. We want to talk to you. Do you mind if I donate money to you? Can I give you money for this? Can mm. I have your email? Who else are you talking to? Yeah, just like essentially phishing scams. Right. And then Ronan Farrow is showing them uh, pictures from the people who work at um, Black Cube. And mm-hmm. Rose McGowan goes, oh my god, that's the lady from the women's organization. Ah. And like, I can't imagine what that's like. <laughs> like, just like, it's... It's so absurd, it has to be a movie, but it's so inhuman that it can't be. Yeah, just the, uh, the, I mean, I, I, I must feel good on some level to be vindicated that this kind of insanity is actually happening to, like, the people who have been victims of it. Like, right, obviously, well, I don't want to be like, oh, well, they're fine because it's, it's out in the open now and da, da, da. But, like... That oh, that kind of just like institutional professional gaslighting is hard to get my head around. Well, not only that, um, Asia Argento, uh, she made a mm. movie, and um, she basically reenacted the her first time with Harvey Weinstein, alleged mm. first time with Harvey Weinstein, and allegedly Weinstein sent a letter going, "Ha ha, very funny." <laughs> What? Wow. That's a normal human response of a person with empathy. (laughs) Allegedly. Um, Oh, wow. There is... Other women came up to her and said, I know who you're talking about. I know that that scene. That scene happened to me. Now, I want to bring this into... Again, this is not... Harvey Weinstein 
is not the first monster Hollywood's ever had. No, and that that I think is one of the big worries that I have, and I have that with a lot of things. Is it is it being reduced to the villain? Right. And I mean, in some ways, I, I worry about that in in positive like things as well. It's not just about the uh, like the central villain and like people pushing back aren't just about the central heroes like. Right. If we get caught up in just looking for individual actors to be punished uh, and individual victims to be hurt, like those things are good. But if the institutions themselves are not like scrutinized and and held to task, then it'll just keep happening. Exactly. You know, because they have a um, there was a silent movie star by the name of Fatty Arbuckle, mm. and. Essentially, it's one of those... I'm not even going to go into it because it's such a complicated thing and I didn't do research on it. We're going to pretend like I never bought a fatty arbuckle. Google fatty arbuckle. It's a silent <laughs> movie right, star. <laughs> it was, um, but this is not new. And I, I know I keep saying that because I feel like it needs to be said. I, I Someone brought up Kevin Spacey at work. Hmm. Because we're talking about the usual suspects, and they're like, "It's a great movie. You have to see it." It's like, I don't know if you have to see it. Yeah, you can wait a while if you want. And it goes, "Hey, I separate him from the movie. Oh, I, I God, don't support him. I support the movie." The, the separate the, the artist from the artwork thing, right? Well, but he made I mean, an not interesting to point. The fact that it's not just Kevin Spacey; it's also right. Brian Singer, right? Like well, he made an issue, allegedly. He made an interesting allegedly. point because hmm. like, I watch those old movies and I don't hold it against them. And I didn't say anything because I had to get back to work. But my initial response was, yes, but they're dead. <laughs> I don't care about them anymore. And also, mm. you should think about it a little bit. Right. Um, I mean, I'm I'm about as far out postmodern as a person can be while still choosing to interact via human language. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, death of the author, all that. Yeah, murder the shit out of the author. Kill them with knives. Right. But... Uh, they still exist. Like, people go too far with some of that stuff, because, like, the whole death of the author thing doesn't mean that, like, paying attention to who the creators were and what their intent is and what they've done and all that doesn't matter. It just means that that's not the only meaning that things should be measured against. Right. But if you go too far, that just erases all of these human elements that 100% matter. Like, material conditions should be paid attention to. Jeez. Well, <sighs> also, it's every everyone's gonna have their own line for what they consider like. I can't watch the movie because the person who made it did this. Right. Uh, some people's line may be further than others. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, you know it, the appreciation of art is going to be different depending on the person in the audience. Well, not only that, but it really becomes like, and this is something I think, and I've been subject to it as well. It's mm. not as easy as everyone would like you to think. No, almost nothing is. Right. But, like, separating the art from the artist is important, but it's also hard not to. But at the same time, what do you do with that emotional connection and experience you had with that piece of art? Yeah. Like, do you pretend it didn't happen? Do you do you never go back to that piece of art? Or do you maybe quarantine it for a time or try to find things? It's not... Mm. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And especially because a lot of this is, I'm not going to say it's its just now happening, because it has been happening right. forever, but is coming to light in much more obvious and unavoidable ways of late. 
And I think one of the uh, one of the the biggest things that we are only sort of now really having to grapple with as uh, humans is the fact that like the the immediacy of information just screws up everything right. in a lot of ways. And part of it is just that like yeah, we we do like we we need to answer these questions for ourselves about like relationships between art and artists and all this kind of stuff. But it's also okay if we don't have the answer today. Right. And I think that's the the thing that I get tripped up on. I, I was thinking about this a lot today because uh, there was I kept getting breaking news alerts about uh, there was an active shooter at YouTube. So yes. those of you following along at home know the day that we're recording. But um, <laughs> but I just I, I want there to be a button that's like I don't care about this until there's information that can be verified. Like I, I obviously I care if people are getting shot somewhere. That's horrible. Right. But. Like hearsay information, according to our sources, people are saying like, I don't care what people are saying. Like right. there's a shooter. That's all I need to know for now, because the rest of it is going to change and warp until we get some semblance of what happened. And well, I feel like that, that like racing immediacy is a pro like, I think that is also a core to what we're sort of talking about right now. Well, it used to be uh Koi and I, when we uh, would have the news on in the background, when, like some incident happened, we would have mm. it on for about five, ten minutes, get the basis of it, and then when they start doing this little tangents about, well, what about all this, we put it on oh, mute, yeah. and we Good. wait for the um, Good move. cryon bar to, to tell us. Chiron. Sorry, yeah. That the bar to tell us if there's any more news, and if we do, we turn it back on. It's like, we don't need to hear all this, because you're just going to be telling me the same thing over and over. Yeah. And I feel like that is uh, whether it's news or or any of the the thing like news politics every all the things that we deal with culturally right now. A lot of it is that uh, the sort of comment impulse, like the need to have something to say now. It's like I don't right. I don't have anything to say now. I, I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna read a book. I'm gonna think about it, and I'll come back to it later. Probably still not not having an answer, and that's fine. Right. Um. I want to move on. Yes, we should move on. That that got into a little bit of a cul-de-sac. I'm no, sorry no, no, about no. that. I knew that was going to happen. That's why I asked for a little bit more time on this episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think we should probably. I mean, we haven't talked about the 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 more historical thing, like you you brought up and then didn't the the Fatty Arbuckle thing, but also like the Sammy Davis Kim Novak article. Right, I think I really speaks to, that, to. Yeah. Um, uh, Sammy Davis and Kim uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and Kim Novak. Um, for those of you who don't know who Sammy Davis Jr. is, um, apparently you've been living under a rock. <laughs> just, just, just find a recording and listen. Just do it. That, uh, pack. <laughs> uh, for the, it's more likely that people don't know who Kim Novak is. That yeah, that, I, I would be less surprised. Um, but she was the star of Vertigo, which is sight and sound called one of the best movies ever made. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think it finally beat Citizen Kane. Oh, really? I believe so, because it did do it every 10 years. Anyhow. Good for Vertigo. Yeah. Um, but Sammy Davis Jr. and Kim Novak had an affair. They were deeply in love with each other. Hmm. And... Also, also, okay, we should probably take a step back here and point out for, if you don't know who either of these people are, okay. uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is an incredibly famous and culturally like well-known black musician who was part of the Rat, rat Pack, black he man. Was, uh, uh, to put it bluntly, he was the one black member of the Rat Pack. Right. And Kim Novak is the whitest, blondest woman who was <laughs> the, like basically the biggest. Uh, for a while there, she was essentially like the, the big 
like the woman at the top of Hollywood. Like that was, she was, she was the in demand woman. Uh, Sorry, I, I just feel like I feel like the story you were about to tell, if if some right, if someone legitimately didn't sense. know who either of these people were, was going to sound like nonsense. Context is hugely important with this particular story. <laughs> yeah, racial it, context is uh, going to matter. Right, because also I should mention because this is about back in the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. And the head of the studio, Harry Khan, Khan, legendary asshole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll just we'll put him there on the on what we'll I guess in modern parlance refer to as the Weinstein pedestal, but yes. like multiplied by it being the fifties and sixties. Right. And he had mob connections. He didn't have the yeah, facade. not not nice upstanding private spy organizations, but <laughs> literal mobsters. Spying organizations that apparently corporations can just call up. That's even more terrifying in its own right. But um, mob ties. And Mr. Khan uh, had an affection for Kim Novak. He groomed Kim Novak to be a sort of spiteful revenge against Rita Hayworth, which was also, quote-unquote, his creation. You have to understand, back in the days of the Hollywood studio system, a lot of head of the studios would just pick random actresses and go, I like you, you're going to be my new star. And they would yeah. I mean, some coaches. And I mean, that, that, was so prevalent. that was so prevalent, it be, essentially became a trope like right. ah, i'm gonna make you a star like that right. whole thing when they said they were and, gonna like make I, you a I feel star, like historically people that. don't realize that that was a thing right like when i say they're gonna make you a star they are going to make you a star they get you and they will coaches. also own you by the way they will own you they will pay for the house you're living in more than likely you'll probably live on the lot for a while they will mm. figure out with the studio hairdresser and wardrobe artist what you look like. Mm. They will design you from the ground up. Yes. So Kim Novak became one of Hitchcock's favorite blondes, but she wasn't, if I remember correctly, she wasn't even a blonde. She became a blonde. Mm. But she became big, and Khan had done so because Rita Hayworth had left the studio and had basically spit in Khan's eye. Yeah. Or Cohen's eye, sorry. And so, as a spiteful revenge, it's like, well, I'll get you someone, I'll get a blonde, and she'll be bigger than Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth, for those of you who don't know, was a star of the 40s and 50s, who I believe, if I remember correctly, was at one point in time even married to Frank Sinatra. Possibly, but I, that's, not, that's outside of my area of knowledge. Um, anyhow, Sammy Davis and Kim Novak met and fell in love and had an affair. And Harry Kahn was absolutely incensed. And so, oh, also, just a FYI, Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, had a glass eye. Mm. Context is important. Uh, he had a glass eye, and if you you would never know it to look at him. He had it for, I believe, most almost all his life. Mm. And... So Khan found out about the affair and sent a mafioso hitman to Sammy Davis Jr. in Vegas and said if he didn't break up with Kim Novick and marry a black woman that night, he would poke out his other good eye. Oof. Yeah. I bring this story up because it's not just white women that are affected by this system. No. 
and even it's a, it is a sort of multi tentacle beast. Yeah, I mean one of one of the things that's come out in the the various sort of Me Too discussions was um oh hell now I'm blanking on his name um the the huge like black comedian actor uh Terry Crews yes uh no I was I was I meant I meant physically huge uh Terry Crews oh being, Terry Crews yes uh god Terry Crews is hilarious but uh like he himself being like groped and not knowing how to deal with it. And those right. kinds, and, and like, yeah, it's it's not obvious. I feel like I, I want to couch that by saying, like, obviously, women are by and large the the major sort of targets of this of like shaming into silence and all these things. But it also is not just women. Right. And well, God, I, I hate having to dance back and forth across that line because I don't want to minimize anything. Okay. Well, I don't. I, I don't think it's important to understand that we're not trying to minimize it so much as understanding that the consequences. Right. And the traumatic effects of these things affect everyone involved. Yeah, I, I, I think the Terry Crews example is important because it gives the lie to so much of the excuses that people give for the abuse of women. Well, like, right. oh, well, what were you afraid of? And like, why didn't you just say no? Why, like, the all these sort of uh, well things that, that try and make it like, oh, well, you're just too weak or you're just too whatever. And it's like this... No, literally, you could be just a big, intimidating man and still not know what to do when abused and still be, like, frightened into silence because your abuser has a massive amount of power. Like, well, Brendan Fager alleges yes. an incident with the then-president of the Academy. Mm. In which he was it, was it the Academy or was it the Hollywood Foreign Press? It might have been the Hollywood Foreign Press, I apologize. And he basically went in for a hug and he felt the guy's hand grab him and as and benefits with the taint. Mm. And it's one of the things where it's not just actresses over 40 who begin to vanish off. It's Brendan Fraser went away for a long time and for a while he, like, we just, he used you to assume be like... when you don't see someone that the I A couldn't get work or B mm. walk away. It never occurs to you that something horrible happened. Yeah. And I mean, they're they're always replaced by whoever comes next, and that person gets attention, and then nobody really asks, like, "Oh, where did the uh, where did the people that we used to pay attention to go?" Right. Well, and going back to the Kim Novak, Sammy Davis Jr. thing, mm. it's, a these are all the stories of mainly white people as well. There yeah. are countless more alleged incidents with women of color, and. Yeah, and other people within the margins of society. It's forced to live on the margins of society. Yeah. Uh, uh, just if you, like, already is... not having that, like, just, yeah, the, the sort of powerlessness as you get further and further away from the, the sort of default. Right. Uh, the yeah. system is designed to protect the abusers, as, it's to, as it stands right now for the most part. They're making some structural changes, but it's mm. going to have to be one of the things we, we need evidence well, and also a lot of the like in, in terms changes, of by the way, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the when we talk about like systems, these aren't necessarily like. I mean, the legal system has plenty of problems with how we cope with these things, but also just the systems of like bet- of that aren't codified, like systems right. between people within particular cultures or or all these sorts of things. Because a lot of, I mean, obviously there were threats and those sorts of things, but I think a, a lot of the 
the secrecy is also fueled by the culture itself. Like knowing that the possibility of being threatened is there will keep people from even trying, even getting to the point where, where they would be someone who would be threatened by uh, the, the various like spies and whatever, like just being scared into silence by default. Right. Well, not only that, but like when you hear about directors like Hitchcock and how he mm. allegedly stalks some of his actresses. Yeah. And we're, we're considering this is a man who made many movies about obsession. It's not shocking to find out that he had obsessions. Yeah. But it really start becomes like, how much do you... Like, how does that affect the legacy of Hitchcock? It should affect the legacy. Yeah. But, like... How do you deal? Do we reconcile the two? Do we not reconcile the two? Hitchcock is too much, I think, of like a giant part of pop culture memory, mm. and I think it's important that we do bring it, mention it because it is the fact that like we canonize the man. Yeah, and again, like I, it's just, not like just we be, just learned these just, women were harassed. It's the stories have been around, but we hand right. wave them away. It's the spotlight thing. Like, they've but been there, but... It's, it is almost like rote fact that Stanley Kubrick terrorized Shelley Duvall yeah. on the set of The Shining. And to the point the where it's just talked about, like, the abstractly. Hmm? To the point where it's just something that's talked about abstractly without judgment. Like, but, oh, yeah, she yeah. was terrorized. And yet to the fact that Shelley Duvall's like, yeah, no, no, that was a horrifying and traumatic experience for me. It's also why we don't see Shelley Duvall in movies anymore, which is mm. sad because she is a sheer delight. Yeah, just excellent. Fairy tale theater is a giant part of my childhood. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, like, it's one of the things where we have this sort of Me Too movement, and... There seems to be very little grandfather clause to it. Mm. Like, we're not extending it to the past so much as keeping it in the present and using it as a net for the future. Yeah. Uh, the It's it's this very, like, presentist thing. Like, the past exists in some other universe, and we only exist perpetually right now. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, we get, like... Uh, well, I mean, also the the other the other sort of big ones that you uh, put in the the show notes, like Polanski and Woody Allen, just right. like the Polanski <laughs> one is really bothersome simply because of how many people openly defend him. Well, and this is I read a very interesting article because mm. historical context matters because everyone well, they like to bring up the petition that was signed mm. in defense of Roman Polanski. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things where someone brought up, like, you know what? I think a lot of people signed that because Bush was really unpopular at the time, and he wanted Polanski extradited. And it was sort of a, like, screw oh, you, yeah. Bush. And I'm like, it is really easy to forget political climates at the time and how sometimes you can hate something so much you totally just overlook this one thing that is, of course you agree with them on this. Of right. course. Right, that... That that's an interesting context. I didn't know about that. Um, I mean, it's still a stupid reason to do it's that. It's a horrifyingly but... stupid reason, but it's oh, also a reason God. that I can totally like see because 
there have been times when I've been anti-Bush on something, and then as the years went on, I was like, okay, yeah, no, that Iraq war, horrible idea, stupid mistake, I think you're awful, but on this other thing, you might have had a really good point. I don't know why I was against you on that. Yeah, I mean, just that, uh, I guess, a, a kind of tribalism will, right. will end up, uh, I mean, I think that's the it's the same sort of mentality that, that builds these structures up in the first place. Like, it's not like, it's not like we are the, the rational outsiders who are immune to whatever. Like I, I 100% get the impulse that people have to like try and circle wagons on particular things. Right. But it's just, uh, like once you, I don't know, it's, it's so staggering. Like once you see the enormity of the kinds of things that go on, it's just like, wow, it was, it's not even that it would have been hard to discover this stuff previously. Like everybody has to not talk about it for it to work. Well, it goes back to what we talked about in the art and politics episode. Mm. Um, the guy, <laughs> this is a deep cut folks. Yeah. The guy who did the the Milgram, Stanley Milgram. Yeah. I'm trying to find the hand and art of like nature of evil. Like, how, there's something within the nature of us that we we turn we have a historical hist- <laughs> historical history. Yeah. Of turning a blind eye to things we shouldn't have turned a blind eye to. Yeah, just going along with as long as as long as by and large everything seems to be functioning, right. just going along. As long as I'm fine and my neighbor's fine, we're good. Hmm. Across the street and down the block, that's their problem. Right. And I think it was the, like the ability to rationalize is a heck of a thing because yeah. so much of like when I hear someone say I'm a Woody Allen apologist, I know what they're Ooh. saying is. They mean they defend his good films and his bad films. Mm. But what they also almost never do is take into the very complex argument of he married his adopted daughter. Yeah. And also ignoring the allegations from his daughter, Dylan, that he molested her. I mean, I I get people's impulse to be like, well, no, I'm just talking about I'm just talking about the movies. That's all I want to talk about. Right. But and and I also get the fact that uh, as someone who has sort of a very scattered way of thinking and processing things, like if you try and contextualize everything perfectly and completely forever, you will never actually get to uh, the end of a thought. But (laughs) there are some things that overridingly need to be addressed. Like uh, with the, you know, the the Woody Allen thing, uh, especially in terms of how many of his films are about relationships between like obviously older men and younger women. Right. Like even like pretending you can just talk about the movies without at least bringing up some of this right. just like by the way footnote this these are uh, a, like series of allegations and you should understand like just it's I, I feel like there's a, a pretty clear line between like wanting to talk about the movies and and trying to to not go too far into the the artists themselves and willfully ignoring the uh, all the things that maybe should be at least passingly mentioned about the artists themselves. Well, I heard someone say once, and I think it's very apt, it's like, 
Hannah and her sisters is the great movie that is unfortunately directed by Woody Allen. <laughs> that is an excellent way right, of saying it. Right, it's like, because like, it, does, it does everything you and the sentence needs to do. It tells you about the movie. It tells you it is, in fact, Hannah and her sisters is, in fact, a great movie. And I think it's one of his best. It is also, unfortunately, a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. And I think this, when you talk about art, this is like this, we get into that gray area once again. Because also Woody Allen has done, uh, the relationships aside, has written a lot of really great roles for women. Yeah. And also has a very mature way, (laughs) uh, Uh ironically enough, of looking at relationships and at very complex, the terms of atheism and theisms. Yeah. I and again, like that's why it's it's important not to necessarily throw those movies under the bus. But at the same time, and here's here's the sort of double edged sword of this part of the conversation to me, is it also sometimes gets close to this weird sort of pseudo apology that people will have, where oh well, well to make good art, like you, you know, artists are are damaged and and like right. messed up people and blah blah blah. And I think no, I don't think that's inherently true. I think that if you are a person who is artistically talented and also you have a skill at like getting away with horrible things against <laughs> other people, that might make you really good at navigating the Hollywood system. But that doesn't mean there's not someone out there who is an excellent writer and could brilliantly like could be a, a top tier director, but because they're not a manipulative fuck they're <laughs> never gonna get anywhere institutionally like i think that's far more likely the case um, uh so i i just that's one of my side worries that i think should be out there well not only that but like it's one of the things where i saw someone have a very interesting conversation or try to anyway be like look i love woody allen movies but i also believe dylan and i think there was a conversation to be had about how art and culture and our personal experience system interconnect. Mm. And I think what's important about that is he goes, I believe Dylan, and I understand people who are angry by this and cannot watch these movies, and I think mm. there's a really complicated conversation to have. Let's have that. And I yeah. think the important thing that gets lost, I think, when I hear people is, I understand some people who still want to talk about a Woody Allen film and the sort of artistry involved. Yeah. I also understand people who want nothing to do with these movies and can cut them out of their life. Yeah, and I don't think we have to choose a winner on those sides. That's the thing. (laughs) It becomes a binary thing as opposed to what it is, is intrinsically, deeply messy and human. Yeah, it's almost like we don't exist in a computer and binaries are less accurate to human experience than spectrums. So The damaging thing of what I think, what is basically we're talking about, we're going to put a fine point on it, is rape culture. Yeah. And to end this thing, oh, we're going to talk about one other thing. Um, it was a stunt woman by the name of Devin McNair. Mm. Oh, she man. Is a, she is a stunt woman who... Stunt women have trouble making it in the industry because they still... There's a process called wigging it. Yeah. In which they will make men do women stunts in wigs. Because they don't want the women doing it because it is too dangerous. And ironically, one of the we had an instance not too long ago in which a woman stunt, a stunt woman died doing a stunt because she didn't yeah. have the experience to do it because it becomes a really bizarre catch-22. There's also um, 
people also tend to do a thing called what's called they blackface white women mm. and take away jobs from blackstone women. It it is a complex enigma of a web of a thing. Yeah, and it's all I mean, all of this stuff is it's hard to follow because it's stuff that's specifically done from the viewer's end to be invisible. Right. And we talk about a lot of times that storytelling is magic. And there's yeah, a lot it of is misdirection that goes on all the way down. A magic trick. A lot yeah. of rehearsing and a lot of sort of special skill sets that aren't well known to the audience because that's the whole point. Yeah, like if stunt people are doing their jobs well, then you have no idea who they are or what they've done. That's why I always like I always really appreciate like every once in a while I'll see on Twitter various like big stars show it like talking about and showing like their stunt people and like trying right. to, to to bump them up a little bit well zoe bell is a stunt woman who yeah, yeah she was she's was the one from uh death proof right yeah you also see her in hateful eight like he fell in love with her it's like no 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 and just moved it she was xena's stunt woman she was lucy lawless stunt woman. oh wow um but devin mcnair is a stunt woman who has a side job and her side job is choreographing rape scenes for plays and movies. Yeah, a lot of this is from from that LA Weekly article that uh, that we mentioned up top right. by uh, April, Wolf. April uh, Wolf. Definitely look it up. It is it is harrowing, but a <laughs> really good article. It's a really good article because it makes you take a step back and realize there are enough movies and plays that have rape scenes that she can make yeah. a living doing this. Yeah, there, there's enough rape in popular media that she can make a living choreographing rape scenes for movies and television. And this goes back to the thing of we see it so much that we've turned a blind eye to it. Like, this is one of the things where it becomes so common that it doesn't even blip anymore on our radar. Yeah, like, I mean, one of the, the I think one of the most universal human experiences in the United States is having, like, Law & Order SVU on in the background because you left the TV on and, like, walked away from it for five minutes. Like, it is <laughs> a little inescapable to, like, wander... Like, I don't I don't actually have cable anymore, but to, to wander into the room and, like, find a grisly rape scene on your television. Right. Well, not only that, but, like, um, just a tad divergent, uh, but I think it goes through, like, you don't notice it. Mm. There was a one of the many many CSI movie, uh, shows was on in the break room at work, and the camera did this thing where it panned to the side of the uh, the screen and then panned back for no reason but to give you the illusion that something was happening. Mm. And someone called someone in the break room was like, "I hate it when shows do that." It's like I want you to understand, I hear you, but I didn't even notice it till you called it out because I have seen it literally a billion times that it yeah. doesn't even register anymore <laughs> like it's so woven into how i view television that i'm like yeah that is a useless camera movement <laughs> move on <laughs> right but like that is basically what the article was about was like sort of like you don't even realize the amount of work going into this you don't even realize that a the scene was choreographed and b that there was a shocking amount of scenes that aren't choreographed oh that people yeah. like let's wig it wing it and it's like no this because going back to it's not just women the person playing a rapist is traumatized as well oh yeah like the like i said it's, it's a harrowing article but the things that it really like makes obvious that should have 
like after reading i'm just like wow i'm embarrassed that i didn't just think of all of this before because none of it is especially surprising really right but it's it's just one of those things like oh wow this was really easy to never think about right shockingly (laughs) easy Uh, and like it's even god i i was just looking back over it uh before we were recording and it's just it's doubly tragic because like mcnair this woman she wants she would rather do like clowning like hot like slapstick (laughs) comedy like three stooges buster keaton like just goofy crazy shit and instead her job just sort of accidentally became being someone who tries to make like performing rape scenes for a camera safe for everyone involved safe for everyone involved because much like wrestling acting is so fake that if you do it wrong you're breaking it yeah it's, oh. it's one of the things where like you really like I don't think people appreciate especially in an emotionally physically exerting scene like what that scene would be the toll yeah. it takes on everybody and not only the fact that more than likely depending on who you have as a director you might have a director who's incredibly knowledgeable. Okay, this is very. We're gonna try. We're gonna rehearse this a couple of times, but I want to get this in a few takes as possible. Right. Or you might have a director, some chode, who's like, "Well, we got to do this as many times until we get it right." Oh, chode's a good word for that. But like, well, okay, Sidney Lumet, Sidney Lumet, sorry, uh, a, a wonderful director, Twelve Angry Men, Dog Day Afternoon. Mm. He once talked about like you have to understand. The how brave your actor is being, that they are exposing themselves on screen for you, and you have to be paying attention. Mm. You have to be aware of when it is good and when it's bad, when they're exposing too much, when it's not. It's like I think there is a sort of tendency to like, well, it's a, it's a capably directed movie, but yes, like what separates a great director from a capable director is a capable director knows how to put the camera up, like knows the camera setups and can get it done. A great mm. director will have the the knowledge of like, okay, you know what? I don't know about the camera setup, but I do know how I need to make this as painless as possible. Mm. I like an, a sort of emotional understanding of the stress of everyone involved in the scene because yeah. it's not just the actors that are going through this; it's the teamsters who are holding the boom mic and the yeah, cinematographer the lighting it, and it's like there is an immense amount of preparation that goes into three seconds of a scene. And when it's something as emotionally impactful as rape scenes are, or should be, mm. it's like I don't think people give it the credit. And Miss McNair, who was herself in, in the process of dealing with uh, bringing allegations against a producer, and, mm. and who herself, by the way, the Me Too movement essentially said, we can't help you. Yep. It's important so, that I bring this up simply because it, structural changes that are supposedly happening but are only happening for certain people, but yeah. visible people. Because she is a stunt woman. She is someone who is one of the people who works the magic behind the curtain that we're told never to look behind. Right. It's the, like, the don't break kayfabe kind of thing. Right. Uh, yeah, but, uh, and it's... Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, it's like, this is what, what we're getting at, and this is rape culture. And this is something that 
what hit. I don't know if this is a breaking point. Probably not. I hope it would be, but I can't. I don't decide. really. I don't know. I have difficulty believing in the concept of a breaking point anymore. I mean, I right. think there can be. I think there can be powerful points, and and it has been at the very least heartening to see, uh, both in terms of the Me Too and in terms of the uh, the sort of anti gun violence uh, movements that have sprung up of late that they're not being brushed aside as easily as things used to be easily sort of brushed aside or would quiet down and things would just go back to normal. Right. Um, but I, I'm, I'm leery of being like, Oh, well we're in a new whatever. No, getting to new eras requires concerted effort by everyone. Like right. that's, everyone. it's not, it's not that it's not like, Oh, well we, it, Harvey Weinstein is not goddamn Rumpelstiltskin. Like finding out his fucking name doesn't make every <laughs> like doesn't make him disappear and defeat the evil. Like the 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 things if wrong it was that with the, easy. <laughs> yeah, the things wrong with the world are bigger than their most famous participants. Right. And uh, yeah. And I, with that, I think we've reached the end. Well, we'll call this a pause point because I'm sure it's a conversation that will need to be revisited someday in the future. I don't necessarily mean that in a, de- a defeatist way. I would right. love to do an episode talking about like, oh, well, here are good changes that seem to be being made. And here are some people who, who you need to be listening to a little more because their voices were kept aside for too long or whatever. Right. But I, I mean, I, I temper that hope with a, a good <laughs> dose of fact that i've been alive for over 30 years and watching how things work but you know maybe uh but yeah i'd say that's a good wrap point for now all right so we um we did an episode and i don't i don't know how well we did it um i <laughs> apologize it's a, conversation, if we... it's a conversation that should not be avoided i think yeah. is, is one of the important takeaways and so hopefully uh, it's a conversation that i don't in good conscience think i could have avoided running a podcast like i wanted to run Right. It was uh, one of the things, like, I, it would be like, well, we, why never talk about it? I just don't think we're up to par. <laughs> well, you're never going to be up to par if you don't try. Yeah, like, being afraid, like, you know what? You can't be afraid of, like, oh, well, what if you, I mean, I, I worry that I'm going to say something wrong and cause more harm to other people, but you also have to, like, try and be part of positive change, and if you fuck it up, you listen to the critiques, you adapt yourself, and you move forward. So we'll see how that turns out. Precisely. Uh, you can come back to the next episode, in which I promise you it will be a much lighter, much fluffier episode. I yeah, don't know I'm gonna what it's dis- going to be about. But it despite won't. already doing the article, no matter what we do, I'm going to try and talk about Superman. So that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that will always be an on-running battle. Exactly. A never-ending battle, in, in fact. <laughs> Against injustice. All right. Yeah. Thank you all for joining. Uh, thank you all for sitting with us in a very difficult, but I believe necessary conversation. I apologize if we screwed up. It was not our intention. Um, intent only goes so far, so please let us know. Intent only goes so far, so if we screwed up, we screwed up. Um, be safe. Be loved. Um, I really don't know what to say outside of that, Thad. Do you have anything to add before we go? Nah, we'll we'll see in future times, uh, and hopefully we'll all just continue to try and and succeed at being better people by then. All right. (laughs) See you guys next time.